0: Welcome to episode 12 of the Self-Care 101 podcast with your host, Pooja K. McClymont, talking all things wellbeing, how to get unstuck, build more confidence and feel more fulfilled. Thank you so much for listening today. On this episode, I'm going to talk a little about a shocking health concern and I'll be interviewed by Walt Grassel on the power of perspective. Hi everyone. Firstly, I want to apologize for not posting a podcast for the last few weeks. It was purely because I was... Very unwell and wasn't able to, so I sincerely apologize for that. But I'm back on track now, and I wanted to talk a little bit about what had actually happened to me these last few weeks because it was quite shocking for me, and it just resonated to sort of you know share the knowledge with you guys as well about your health and how stress can creep up and how it can manifest and all these other things. So I'll tell you a little bit about what happened. So a few weeks ago, I was, I woke up as normal and I had a migraine and I get migraines a couple of times a year and usually they pass. I'll have a couple of um, headache pills and then I'll sleep it off for about four hours and then I'm fine. I'm groggy, but I'll be fine. This time though, the migraine lasted a week and nothing was helping it. So no headache tablets, no matter how strong I got them from over the counter, I couldn't dissipate this migraine. It was just excruciating and it was debilitating. I wasn't able to do anything. I had to send my son to my mum's for her to look after him because I just couldn't do anything. I couldn't drive. I couldn't function. And it was really terrible. And I know people suffer from migraines as well. So it was horrible. And then one day I started to feel a little bit better. So I went into work and I took a train and the train was fine. But as soon as I got out of the station, I started getting very, very blurred vision and I kept bumping into people. And I thought it was, you know, being in central London and, you know, just rat race. But actually, it was me. I had lost my periphery vision and I was like, oh my God, what's going on here? I had to support myself on a wall before I got to my destination. And anyway, I managed to get to my destination, still a bit perplexed on what was happening with me. And then I was having a meeting and I couldn't concentrate on looking at the person's face. And as a coach, I have to look at people's faces, but luckily this was just the meeting. So I apologized for that. And then we were going around the building. And when we came down, I got out of the lift and my foot had lost sensation completely. Like I couldn't actually feel one of my feet. So I thought it's a bit odd. Let me, let me sit down and, you know, try and shake it off. It was like pins and needles, but like immediate and just went really dead, a dead foot. And I'm sitting there and then I felt a bit woozy and the pins and needles were rising through my legs. And I was like, oh, mm, this doesn't feel right. And the people that I was with were Like, you need to call an ambulance. I was like, no, 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 it's not ambulance worthy. I'm still breathing. And they were like, okay, well, at least call the NHS number. So I rang the NHS number and the lady on the phone um, said that she was going to call an ambulance for me. So she did. And I went in the ambulance and they thought that it was suspected stroke. And I was like, what? Stroke? I'm 39. Really? Stroke? Okay, right. I don't know enough about stroke to qualify whether or not I'm going through it. I didn't think that I was, but you don't know, do you? Really? You know, what's happening to you? So I was checked over by the paramedics and they decided that they wanted to take me to a hospital just to get a thorough check over. And at the hospital, I was given oxygen and fluids, which was scary. I've not had any of that before. And then I was sent home and I went home. I had a debilitating migraine, which just didn't stop. Okay. So then we're into week two and I've still got this migraine and it's really, really preventing me from doing anything. I just couldn't function. It was horrible. And one Tuesday morning I woke up and I felt quite, ah. okay, no no headache this morning, this feels good. And I went to make myself something to eat and I'd put the cooker on and I sat down because I was still a bit woozy. And all of a sudden I lost sensation in my leg again and I lost it through my entire leg and it was as if pins and needles had run through my entire body and all the way into my mouth. And this was super scary because... I got to a point where I couldn't speak and I thought huh, I'm on my own here so I think I'm going to have to call an ambulance and I did and I couldn't even articulate my name to the lady on the phone when I was ringing for the ambulance it was it was that bad anyway I was really scared and then anxiety probably was setting in because I couldn't actually get the words out of my mouth. And I, um, yeah, waited for the ambulance. Then they took me to a hospital. They said, it sounds like stroke. We were going to take you to a hospital that has a specialist department. And I was like, okay, sure, you know, you got to, you know, I'm in your hands. I, I trust you. And I went to the hospital. They did every single test possible. And I am ever so grateful for it that nothing came about so all the the ct scan the blood tests the chest x-rays they all came back clear which was great (laughs) obviously but my head was still hurting so i was like so then why have i got this debilitating migraine what's what's happening and unfortunately the doctors couldn't actually pinpoint it they didn't know what was the reason for this migraine or what was happening with me and. I was sort of given some headache tablets and sent home. And then since being home the migraine was still there and I was trying to get rid of it and I was the GP suggested some stronger over the counter painkillers so I was taking those and starting to feel a little bit better. It wasn't it wasn't great. I was still very groggy from the migraines but we were on our way. And we then started to think about, okay, so if it's not anything chronic, which is obviously superb, what is it? Why is this happening? And my dad suggested I go and see his massage therapist, uh, a Thai massage therapist, and and I was like, "Yep, sure, I'll do anything." At this point, I need this pain to go away. And I had started kind of coming to my own conclusions as well. Obviously, stress was thrown about uh, as a potential cause. And I was asked if, you know, if life had been become more stressful than usual. And I didn't think it had. But my husband said at every single meeting with any medic. Yes. Yes. She is very stressed. And I was like, okay, fair enough. If I'm, if you're seeing me as very stressed, then perhaps I am. And I need to take stock of this myself. So I did. And I went to the massage therapist. This woman killed me. I'm not even joking with you. She killed me. I probably took no prisoners. She, (laughs) she, (laughs) sorry. It was such a painful experience, but it was a very showing experience as well, actually, because she just started massaging my shoulders a little bit just to feel what was going on, where the tensions could be relating to the migraine. And she did that and she told me off and she touched me on a point in my shoulder which fed to pain in my arm and into my fingertips. And the pain that she had created was exactly the pain that I was feeling when I was having these migraines. So I was like, lady, you know what you're doing, so I'm in your hands. She gave me a very thorough massage experience with lots of telling off about lack of self-care. And I was like, all right. And then Afterwards, I felt a lot better and my migraines have now disappeared. Okay. So it's only been a week, but they have essentially disappeared and got me feeling normal again, but also got me feeling very self-aware. So that has been me these last three, four weeks. And it was the scariest time of my life, aside from giving birth to my son. And it was a real sort of, obviously, it was an eye opener. And I'm feeling now hmm, I do need to readdress everything in my life in my lifestyle. And, and I have been so slowly, 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 I've been sort of addressing my working week, I've been addressing my socializing, I've been addressing how much time I give to myself on my own. And it's not enough. So I do give to myself every day but I'm not doing enough of it. I do exercise, but I'm not doing enough of it. I am cautious about how I'm eating because obviously I've got a bit of weight to lose, but I'm not doing it enough. So it's kind of like I need to take everything that I'm doing up a gear in order to complement the extra work that I'm doing without realizing that all these things add up to stress. So like doing this podcast, for instance, this is a new thing for me, but I think it's really enjoyable. I love it, you know, and I've got time in my week to be able to record these and get them edited and published in, you know, without really any stress. So I've been really enjoying it, but I realized that actually it's something I've added to my plate and as much as it's an enjoyable act, it's still work, it's still something that has a schedule. It's still something that needs to be done by a specific time in order for it to be published on time, except for you know, you know, for you guys. So I was I started looking at everything into more minute detail and I realized that actually, yes, there is an increase in stress um with regards to workload. So I've now been reviewing all of that and it's only been a week, but it's already started to feel a lot lighter. My plate feels a lot lighter. So that's kind of made me realize that, okay, it's all it's workable, it's changeable, I can actually do this. So it feels very good. And it got me thinking about this interview that I did with um, Walt Grassell about the power of perspective. Now, we were talking almost as colleagues about the power of perspective and how when you change your perspective, it can really have a brilliant effect on whatever it is you're trying to achieve and I thought that this (laughs) also (laughs) I think a better example you know not sure that I would have liked this example having gone through it but I'm also grateful to have gone through it and it will be okay that you can still have many perspective shifts when you're doing self-development work like this and I certainly have it's really woken me up even more so I guess than I already have been and it's do you know what this is the weirdest thing but it's actually excited me it's I know that sounds really strange but having gone through this really serious experience it's it's excited me to work even harder not through stress induced activity, but to work harder on improving myself, my health, and keeping that as a priority um, amongst everything else that I'm doing so, so that I can actually provide that support to people. So yes, I'm not you know, over the moon that it happened to me, but I'm also glad that it did because I can really come now from a strong perspective on how not to do it (laughs) basically. So this interview that I've done with Bolt, I think it's really, it's really timely. It's about the power of perspective and I'm not going to give anything away, but just get straight to it.
1: Welcome to Stand Up and Speak Up. I am your host, Walt Grassel. And before I bring on today's guest, Pooja K. McClimont, to talk about the power of perspective, I want to share with you my thought of the day. And it's inspired by a meme I saw on Instagram from Matt Fury. And it says, Pretending to know it all may be a comforting path, but it's not a road that leads to greatness. And I found in my corporate career that going into a meeting, even if you're the leader or the perceived expert, it was always best to go in pretending or acting as if you don't know everything. Listen to other people and find out maybe there was something you didn't know. Never assume that you know it all. And there's a philosopher who does a radio show that i listen to named dennis prager and he always challenges his audience to think a second time which means to uh, if you've come up with an opinion be open to reconsidering the basis of that opinion and i just think it's a great exercise and stephen covey in the seven habits of highly effective people talked about uh the most effective form of uh Win win is when both parties win, and he uh, talks about let's not do it your way let's not do it my way let's put our heads together and figure out what our way is, and our way is always better oftentimes than even the sum of the two parts he He uses the analogy it's not one plus one it's equals two it's one plus one equals four five ten a hundred because the synergy between people uh allows you to really build something. So don't always assume that you know it all because uh, the older you get, the more you realize there's a whole lot out there that we don't know. And with that, I'd like to welcome to Stand Up and Speak Up, Pooja K. McClymont. Good morning, Pooja, or good evening for you. Pooja's in London. This is an international show today.
0: <laughs> Hi, Walt. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Um, thank you so much for being here. And Pooja, I don't like to read canned biographies of people, so please take as many minutes as you need to let us know who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing today.
0: Sure. it started, I guess, in 2012. I had, unfortunately, I had a breakdown, and at the time, I didn't know what was happening. I just kept coming home from work and I would just be in like desperate tears like those sorts of tears where you curl up in a ball on the floor and my boyfriend who's now my husband at the time he didn't he didn't know what was happening with me because I was I'd be you know happy-go-lucky I'd go to work I was functioning fine but as soon as I'd come home I would just I guess release but it was such a deep release you know like as if someone had passed away it was like crying like that every single day and we had no idea what was wrong with me I thought that it was work and that I wasn't enjoying where I was working I thought it was because I was putting on weight I thought it was because I wasn't spending time with people but anything that I did to try to help so I'd looked for a new job, or I tried working on my health, I tried spending time with people, I was still sort of breaking down and feeling, oh, like, you know, such this, this really deep despair. And it was one day I was cooking something and I burnt my hand and I just fell to the floor in such heavy, heavy tears, like my heart was beating really, really fast. I didn't know where the tears were coming from. I couldn't understand what was happening, and it wasn't because I burnt myself and it had hurt. It was just, I, 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 it was like the last straw, and I lost control, I guess. And I rang a friend of mine's mum, who was always like a, she was like a mother figure for me because my mum's lovely but not nurturing as such with me. So she, this um, Sally, her name is, she gave me that sort of nurturing mumness. And I was like, Sally, I don't know what's happening to me. I keep crying. I've just fallen on the floor. I don't understand what's going on with me. And Sally was in her 60s at the time. And she said, um, Pooj, you're having a breakdown. And I was like, what? She's like, you're having a breakdown. It sounds like you're having a nervous breakdown. And I was like, these things don't happen to 33-year-olds. What are you talking about? And I then, you know, obsessively started diagnosing myself on the Internet. And... Um, and looked at what having a breakdown meant. And as I got deeper into the rabbit hole, I learned about depression and I literally ticked every single box of depression. And I didn't know how to get myself out of it. And just before I started to feel worse, Sally had suggested that I come away with her. She has a house in rural Mexico And she said, come away with me, I'm going away in December, spend a couple of months away, learn how to just be, and we'll figure it out from there. And I was like, I don't have the money, I don't know how to do this, and I got to that really heavy despair where I wanted to just end it all, because I just didn't believe that anything could help. it it was just such a dark dark place and my boyfriend found me one evening in the dark in our bedroom and he was he was so scared he didn't know what I was going to do and he contacted my parents and let them know what was happening with me and they were like come over now come over now they didn't know they didn't understand what depression was or anything like that they needed an education but they just knew that it was not write what I was doing and the way I was behaving so they we went over to their house had dinner and they basically said what do you need and I was like well Sally suggested this and they said well here's the money go go do what you need to do get better you just tell us what you need and we'll give it to you and you know oh, i get teary <laughs> um, it was amazing anyway I went away for those few months and in a very, very quick space of time, I had nothing to do when I was in Mexico, nothing at all but breathe, eat, sleep. And in a couple of weeks, I started coming back. And it's difficult to describe what that means. But the crying stopped, basically. And that was like the first step, the crying stopped. And I started looking at my life in a almost like a bird's-eye view, because I wasn't in it. I wasn't doing, you know, the normal day-to-day things like washing clothes or cooking dinner or paying bills. I was just being. And I didn't even understand what that meant um, when Sally told me to just be. It was things like reading. It was things like just chatting. I like to talk. So (laughs) it was all those things, and it just filled me up. And then when I came back, I realised so much of the life that I was living was almost working against my true authentic self, I guess. I don't like to use too many flowery words, but I wasn't being authentic to myself. I wasn't living in my truth. I wasn't living the life that would actually make me happy. And that was because everything was placed on money. You know, you need to have a house, a good job and blah, 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 you know, normal things that we all have. But I guess I took it too far and, you know, couldn't cope with it. And then when I came back, I went on my healing journey. And within that, I took counselling. I even did some coaching. And I did a counselling course. because I was just so fascinated by it. I thought, this is wonderful stuff. This is really good stuff. Maybe I could do something with this. And counselling wasn't for me because I'm just too an emotional person. So... I liked the coaching. I liked the coaching process because it got me moving forward. And that's really what I wanted. I was like, I've done all this self-awareness work and I understand where everything's coming from. But now how do I take that forward and continue living life? You know, I'm 33, 34 at this point. And I just loved it. And then that was it. I vowed to help as many people as I could avoid that burnout, I guess, that breakdown moment and that's how I started training. It's funny what you said at the top of the show about, you know, we're always learning and I certainly am. I'm at every opportunity getting certified in something else. And it's true. It's just it's been a really wonderful journey. And now where I am, I just my plight for my coaching practice is to honestly it's just to help as many people as I can. Um to not not burn out to the extent I guess you know that I had Mm -hmm.
1: that's that's me (laughs) wow I can't wait to explore this but I always (laughs) ask my guests about stage fright so uh, have you ever had stage fright and it's okay not to have had it
0: yeah I've not had stage fright I guess in the way that I interpret stage fright so for me the interpretation of stage fright is when you're standing in front of a crowd of people and you just freeze you can't speak you've forgotten everything that you have prepared for but I have had I guess a milder case of stage fright which I still do even you know at the top of the show I was feeling a bit nervous it's that it's nerves it's butterflies it's that slight bit of anxiety sometimes a bit of imposter syndrome comes in like you know should you really be interviewing me do I know what I'm talking about mm-hmm yeah that so that's pretty much my experience with stage fright, but generally, like I say, I like to talk, so um i I'm, like, I'm not too bad once I get going, but the initial before I start gets yeah, it does get me anxious
1: see, and this is what I find very fascinating because it starts with the nerves and the butterflies that almost hundred percent of the people i I ask this question they say they get that. The ones that say they don't have stage fright, they accept that as part of the process of getting in front of an audience and they just move forward and they go away as soon as they get started. I, on the other hand, and people who get paralyzed, take that feeling and then run with it. And then it keeps growing, growing, growing until it becomes paralyzing and debilitating. So Mm. it's interesting to know that even people that don't have stage fright feel that. So it's all about what you do with that energy that you get. Do you turn it into excitement and and go forward or realize it's just a part of the process or do you focus on it? So if you really focus on it, try to focus on why you're there and, and the message you're delivering or the questions you're going to be answering instead of on yourself and how you feel. Because the more you focus on yourself, the more it grows. So thank you for sharing that. and. You know, I love that you don't consider it stage fright.
0: <laughs> I think it's what you said earlier about perspectives, isn't it? The, the theme for the show is perspectives. For me, it's something I say to my clients a lot, especially those who come to me with anxiety. I'm like, okay, well, let's look at it from a scale of zero to 100 or zero to 10. And really, what's the worst that could happen? Answer that question. Work backwards from there.
1: Right. Brilliant advice. Before the break, in the first segment, we got to know Pooja and her very powerful story, and we talked a little bit about stage fright. Uh, What I'd like to do now maybe is just jump right into the power of perspective, because your healing uh, began when you took a time out and were able to uh, just reconnect with what it is to be alive and then figure out what it is that you needed to do, and that's part of how you help people so tell us a little bit about that please
0: yeah I mean getting away I didn't understand it at the time when Sally suggested it because I just thought well it's just a holiday you know like I, I can go on holidays and I've been on holidays since suffering from depression but I didn't feel like it helped me necessarily it just you know you just sort of relax from work but actually Going away and the goal of going away was to just be, was what really helped me. And that's what I use in my practice today. So I always say to clients, the first and best place to work with me is to go away with me. Let's spend a 24, 48 hour or a whole week together. Have that intensity because sometimes you just want the answers straight away, right? In the same way you will pray to God or whatever, ask the universe for, you know, why is this happening to me? Why, why is it me? And I've got everything. Why should I be feeling like this? Sometimes it helps to have that concentrated, almost intensive time with someone who can help guide you. And that's what I'm doing. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm guiding. And in that, you get to you get to some of those answers that have been really difficult for you to get the answers for. And then you start seeing the light. And I guess that's when you're in that sort of depressive state. And I'm not talking about people in crisis, because when you're in crisis, you you do need more specialist help. But those that aren't in crisis, once they can start seeing the light, it helps them move forward. And I guess towards coming out of that deeper depression that they're in. And going away, you, like I said, I had a bird's eye view of my life. I looked at everything. I put everything into a box and I was like, wow, I've got everything I ever wanted. I've got this great boyfriend. I've got my own house with my own mortgage in my name. I've got a high flying career. I was in marketing and I, I did the PR for destinations around the world. Like, you know, I used to represent New York State in the UK. What an amazing job. But Mm -hmm. I couldn't see that when I was in my depressive state, it was just work. And it was all the bad stuff about work. So when I was looking at it from that bird's eye view, it was only because all the day to day stuff was out like the housework, etc, all the chores. And I didn't have to be anywhere for anyone except for myself. And that was where I had a massive, I'm going to use perspective shift, because essentially that's really what it was. As soon as I did that, you know, we talk about filling your cup. This is where I started to fill my cup up. And it was already halfway full, but I just couldn't see it, you know, in the in the noise of everyday life.
1: Mm-hmm. When, I guess, after you had that experience, did you find a way to without going away uh find time to change your perspective. I don't know if I asked that clearly, but there's one thing to do it uh as a 2 3 or day or a week event, but once that's done, did you kind of learn then how to maybe take an hour a, a day or times when you needed a couple hours away from Things so, kind of like a mini retreat after you learn the skill of getting a different perspective,
0: yeah, 100%. So, the things that I did on the trip, I knew I wouldn't be able to replicate, you know, day in my day to day, especially if I went back to work, obviously. But Mm -hmm. I made I picked up a couple of things that I knew I could replicate, and one of those things, which I still do to this day, and it's the first thing I tell every client to do, is to create time in the morning when you wake up right that's we we take it for granted that we're allowed to wake up in the morning but if you can concertedly get up and that's what I did I started not concertedly consciously getting up and spending 10 minutes minimum you know just 10 minutes with a coffee on my own not speaking to anybody not looking at my phone connecting with anyone just myself and in that time I did a little check in, you know. If my head was noisy, I would kind of shush it, and just start, you know, looking at internally my body, how am I feeling? Am I in aches and pains? Do I need a massage? Do I need to move a little bit more? Am I feeling lethargic? Am I feeling ready for the day? And it just start. It just made such a difference to filling that cup up constantly and keeping myself up. I guess um, mm-hmm. and falling that that's the main thing that I have continued to do. And we can all do that. I mean, I don't take 10 minutes now. I take about two hours every morning before mm-hmm. I do anything or give any of myself away to anyone else.
1: Mm. That That's so powerful. There's a, a lady, I believe it's Julia Cameron. She wrote a book, The Artist's Way. She talks about writing morning pages where you do stream of consciousness first thing when you get up. And I think that's uh, one of the times when you're most in touch with your unconscious mind or your subconscious while you were asleep. And so you're most ready to connect with what you're feeling. So I I think that's a great practice. And uh, it's highly, you know, it's highly recommended. And uh, I'm glad that you're doing that. And you teach your clients that as well.
0: Yeah, because a lot of my clients, you know, they're they're busy, they're working, they've got kids, they've, you know, just... All, what we all go through and when we when we're doing all those things which is work family etc friends mm-hmm. partners trying to find partners we get into the doing state and we're just in a constant state of doing and we don't consciously stop you know we might be forced to stop like if you're on the underground train and there's no um, internet service you're forced to stop mm-hmm. but you don't generally and even now you know we can download podcasts so we're not necessarily stopping so we're never really consciously stopping and then if when you can though it just it's just completely different way of living i think
1: yeah i I think taking that time because there's like people will go to the gym and work on their body and they may read to work on their mind but to work on your spirit In your purpose, uh, I think that's more neglected than the other two. And those two are not done by everybody. And like you said, it's so easy if you basically plan it into your day that when I first get up, that time is set aside for, for that. So I I think that's a great tip. Um, What are some other things that you uh, work with your clients on?
0: For perspective.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, on that, or, or if you want to move on to something else, um, you know, we I think we paid off the premise of the show talking about the power of the perspective, Mm
0: -hmm. we can
1: delve into it more, we can move on to something else.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, perspective plays a huge role in the coaching process in general. And I also am trained in NLP, which I know you're a big fan of. Mm -hmm. And with NLP it's all about mindset and how we view the world you know how individuals view the world and I found it just such a fascinating topic just in general Mm -hmm. and a lot of you know a lot when clients are coming they're coming with a particular view of the world and it's not right or wrong it's just one view so when I'm working with a client and they'll say to me even with this morning routine they'll be like oh I don't have time in the morning you know my my daughter will will come in to the bedroom and I won't get time to do anything and I'll say okay um can you wake up five minutes before her Mm -hmm. and it's like the penny drops like oh yeah I can do that I can actually do 10 minutes okay Mm then so (laughs) you've created 10 minutes of time but it's just asking them a different question that and it's usually the question that they're not asking because they see the world in a specific way and sometimes it can be challenging for a client to receive that sort of it feels like questioning but when you ask it it's like oh yeah no it's actually easy for me to create an extra half an hour I can get a whole half hour in before anybody else wakes up and they feel so empowered by getting up that half an hour earlier it's it's really impressive and mindset is something that plays a massive part in my practice because it I mean everything's in the mind really isn't it like we have Mm -hmm. to We have to have some control over it. And, you know, modern society today, we're full of distractions, right? Social media, internet has its, all of it, you know, there's, there's, it definitely has its plus points. I'm a big fan. We wouldn't be able to do this today if we didn't have it.
1: And we wouldn't have met if we didn't have it, right? I followed you on, I came across you on Instagram and that's how we connected.
0: Well, this is it. So I'm pro it, but we also need to manage how much of it we consume. Like anything, you know, smoking has a warning on it, doesn't it? Everything at some point, you know, too much of a good thing, right? It gets a, a warning label. And we haven't been putting as many warning labels on our busyness, I guess. Mm-hmm. And all the science is out there you know if if you there are plenty of white papers to read research papers to read about how our brains function and how we process negative thoughts and it's all accessible to us but it's sort of hidden in the realm of new technology and i dare i say capitalism but you know that whole more 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 society we've all sort of like fallen into but yet our cases, I'm talking about the UK and the US here, our cases of mental health challenges are huge among the world. And I, I think what you said was absolutely right about purpose. It all intrinsically falls into not having a purpose or not knowing what your purpose is, or losing sight of what your purpose could be. Because, you know, what your purpose is as a 20 year old is naturally going to change by the time you're in your 30s, 40s. And, if we're not consciously checking in with ourselves to find out what they are, we're just working for the sake of working to pay bills and then essentially die. But mm-hmm. it's not living life. And so this is where mindset comes into play. What life do you want to live? What does it look like? Cause you've got control of it. You can create it all up to you.
1: And you know, I, I was as guilty of this as, most people, I, I even facilitated the seven habits of highly effective people. And one of the modules was about writing a personal mission statement. And I had this phobia against look looking inside myself and creating a mission statement. So while the students were creating theirs, I would just sit there and you know, just past the time, the half hour, 45 minutes that they had to create one. And finally, in about the seventh class, I came up with one. And my purpose is to help people solve problems and learn something new every day. And when I figured that out and then look back at what I enjoyed about being a leader, it was about helping people achieve tasks. When I retired, how can I help people by sharing my experience at overcoming stage fright? Uh, interviewing people to help people improve the quality of their lives if they want to and meet interesting people. When I interview a guest like you, I'm learning something. So that hits all three of my things, but it took me, I mean, I was in my late Mm forties before I had that awareness that that was something I should do. And deep down inside, I knew it because I'd written I'd read the book when it first came out 10, 15 years before that. But it's like, well, this is a little uncomfortable. Let me just skip by it. But doing the uncomfortable, even overcoming stage fright, I had to go through a lot of discomfort. But the reward on the other side for addressing those things is it's tremendous. So um, maybe on the other side of the break, we can explore the resistance to doing things we know we should do. Welcome back to Stand Up and Speak Up. I am your host, Walt Grassel, and I'm here today with Pooja K. McClymont. And you can find Pooja online at franklycoaching.com. That's frankly, F-R-A-N-K-L-Y, coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com. That's franklycoaching.com. And before we went to our last break, Ah, uh, we talked about mindset and specifically this idea of uh, overcoming uh, resistance that's internal to something that we know we should do, but for some reason we don't do it. So, can you talk, uh, explain a little bit about that and what th- pe- people can do to to maybe not do that as much?
0: Sure. So, <clears throat> the, we will. We like our comfort. We like, you know, we like being in a comfort zone, and we understandably get complacent life gets in the way and it's stressful and oh I have so many things on my to-do list and but yet we're feeling miserable and we want to do more with our lives and we tend to be in a place of well it's fear but it's a fear of the unknown as well so yes I want my life to be better in x y and z but what does that look like how can I make that happen and how hard is that going to be and that's going to make me feel uncomfortable so no I'm not going to do it but actually if you the way I work is I bring you I work backwards so what would life look like if you weren't scared of what it is you're trying to achieve what would life actually look like and how does that feel for you does it feel like something you want does it make you smile does it make you happy and clients have different reactions sometimes they cry because they can't believe that they could actually have what they're asking for. And these are realistic things. We're not talking about people on 20 grand salaries expecting to live in a 10-room mansion, you know, in Lake Como or something. We're talking about realistic goals like being the manager in their team or something. And once they can see and feel in that imagination phase of what it could actually be, what life could actually be like, we can then work backwards and we tend to work backwards then from there on how to actually achieve it. And I know that a lot of the millionaire mindset works in that same way that, you know, what it is, what is it that I want to achieve or how much money do I want to achieve? And what does that break that down into years and then months and then days and, you know, per client, etc. And that's how they achieve those financial goals. And it really does work the same way, but that that fear of actually getting what you want can also have a take its toll on people because we'll, we're generally intelligent. If we want more from our lives, we, we know that we want more and we are aware of that. But getting to actually doing something, we'll, we'll ask ourselves certain questions, we'll dig deep as far as we think we're digging deep and then we get to a point where... Oh, it's a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know if I want to ask myself any more questions because this is hurting now. And then we'll park it. We'll put it, push it to the side, and we'll continue living our daily life and get back into that cycle of feeling unhappy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we'll, when when I'm working with clients in the coaching process, <laughs> I force them into that challenge. As soon as it gets hard, I'm like. I'm about to challenge you. We're going to go really deep now. And as soon as you get to that deep point where it hurts, it's that's your, I guess your aha moment. Like, Oh, okay. That wasn't so bad. And Mm -hmm. I've got the answer now. So now I can work towards it. And then they feel empowered and they feel confident and they feel that they've got direction, but it takes being open to, you know, facing your fear head on really. And, accepting that what you want can happen and it's not going to hurt you when it happens <laughs> it's okay but we're conditioned we're so, you know we're in societies both of us that are just conditioned in fear fear is everywhere isn't it like you mm-hmm. can eat this today and then tomorrow it's bad for your health you can do this but then you can't be in the wind now because it's going to affect your skin and you can't do this it's just everything we want to do and touch in our every day gets filled flooded with fear So we're just used to being in a state of fear, and it takes a lot of courage to choose not to. Essentially,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, I've uh, read an analogy in a book, uh, Psychocybernetics. Are you aware of that? Have you read? No, that
0: sounds very
1: interesting. Yeah, he talks uh, about. It's by Maltz, and he talks about our our mind works like a like a guided uh, missile. And if you don't believe the target, once you put it on target, if the wind blows it off course, it knows where it's supposed to go, and it it gets back on track. And so, like you said, what, you have to really believe and envision the end result, and then your your mind and your will kind of control you to get there. But it's like if you're going to go to the the store and it's five blocks away and all of a sudden there's an accident and you have to go a different direction, do you just pull over on the side of the road or do you go back home or do you figure out how to go around the obstacles? And, you know, the fear analogy, like when we when we experience that fear with our goals, a lot of us just pull over to the side of the road and and don't continue. So I I like the way you describe that. And, And really, that's the fear I had with public speaking. I was so afraid of doing it, I avoided it or when I had to do it at work. It was just, I didn't sleep the night before. It was very traumatic. But once I went on this journey, there were still stumbles and falls and fears. But I realized, you know what? I'm not going to die. And I did it anyway. And now I'm, you know, speaking, doing stand up, acting, doing this radio show. When I first started the radio show, I was terrified. And <laughs> it took several shows. But the more I did it, the easier it got, and now I look forward to doing this every Thursday. It's it's amazing if you just overcome those fears.
0: Yeah, well, it's good that you defined your purpose because that's essentially whether you realized it or not at the time, that was what was driving you. You know, if you wanted to really mm-hmm. live the purpose, you would have to come on the show and do it and learn from it. You know, because it's it's not going to be perfect the first time, is it? We've got to oh. mm-hmm. yeah sort of develop ourselves. So it's it's. But having that clearly defined purpose, you don't necessarily need to have a goal to say, I want to reach 100 million people, but just that, yeah, I want to do this. I have this purpose. I want to help. And every time I get on air, I'm helping is is superb. Well done.
1: So, and it, it didn't dawn on me until just now that my decision to actually write a mission statement was probably a big influence to me taking the advice to join toastmasters and and finally deal with this stage fright issue so thanks for pointing that out mm-hmm. um you recently started a podcast correct is that the first time you've done one
0: yes i did literally last week
1: <laughs> so what what was that like for you what what fears did you have about it and what was you know how, how did that come about
0: Well, I've decided to do the podcast. I mean, my background's in marketing and I've been working on my business properly for three years and, but I'm used to marketing countries and I'm used to marketing luxury hotels and Michelin-styled restaurants. So it's very different to then start marketing yourself. And I tried all different avenues and, you know, social media, as you know, because you found me on there. I do enjoy it. I know how it works. But I just felt like I wasn't connecting with my potential audience. And I thought I just kept coming back to my purpose, which was to help as many people as possible prevent burnout. And I thought, well, I'm not doing it on an email list because I can only reach a certain amount of people there. So the podcast came about because it was just a wider audience. There was no cost really for me to do it. And it was just give it a go you know what's the worst that can happen no one listens that's it right <laughs> and um and that's it I just you know gave myself a crash course on doing a podcast and I'm quite savvy computer savvy so got it going and and I launched it on my birthday so I know I knew people were gonna be kind to me <laughs> I was smart you know <laughs> no one was gonna say I was boring but yeah I launched it and you know watched the stats obsessively for the last seven days and I was I liked the fact that I could obviously pre-record so I could edit out anything that I was uncomfortable with but when I started doing it I found that I just naturally flowed and there was very little editing and even my editor fed back to me that he had very little to edit which was nice Mm -hmm. and I've since then just sort of been waiting to hear feedback from it and I've been this week my son's off school so we've been meeting a lot of family and friends and they're all volunteering oh my god your podcast and I'm getting messages and people are finding me through social media but actually launching it I was so nervous because imposter syndrome came into play where I thought I wasn't good enough I didn't know what I was talking about how can I qualify myself you know even though I've got qualifications how can I qualify myself to do an actual podcast and as soon as people started feeding back, I was like, okay, this is the right thing because they were saying the things that I, I had imagined people would say at some point in my career and for them to have said it so soon after hearing the podcast episodes has just, I mean, I'm so overwhelmed. I still haven't come down from it. You know, when you just can't Mm -hmm. quite fathom that, have I just hit a goal like within minutes of, launching something like is this really happening so I'm still sort of in the process of coming down from it but every episode I do and have recorded I am super nervous about you know and it's the nerves are I hope it helps it's not you know whether you like me because you know you either do or you don't but it's more did it help you did it help one person I just needed to help one person then I know I'm living and doing what I've chosen to do, you know, the right thing for myself. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's where I am now with it.
1: Well, that's exciting to hear. And I think um, on the other side of this break, we'll talk a little bit about imposter syndrome, but the idea that, you know, you don't have to be qualified to speak to an audience or to do a podcast or a radio show You just have to be passionate and know you don't have to be even an expert in the field. You just have to know a little bit more than the people you're sharing with so that they walk away with something. And I think your doubts about, well, is somebody going to get this? I think after a while, you'll realize that people need to hear what you're teaching and you'll just teach. And and I'm very confident that quickly you won't even worry about that because you get it. You know how to coach people. You know what people need to know. So um, congratulations on doing that. And let's talk about imposter syndrome on the other side of the break. This is Walt Russell with Pooja K. McClymont on Stand Up and Speak Up on the Star Worldwide Network. And we'll be right back. I'm here today with Pooja K. McClymont. And before the break, we talked a little bit about imposter syndrome. Can you talk about that a little bit, please?
0: Yeah, sure. So imposter syndrome tends to be when you have a fear of your accomplishments and that people will find you I guess at some point they're going to think that you're a fraud in what you do even though you might have been doing something for 20 odd years you know in work or it's usually related to the workplace so you've been in a particular career for 20 years and then all of a sudden like stage fright I guess you think oh no am I can I do this can I act actually do this no matter how much you know education you've had or experience you've had you get to a point where it's like oh can I do this is this is this going to happen are they going to think that I'm you know not not actually able to do what I'm saying and I think this is me hypothesizing but I think that it's become a lot more prevalent in modern society imposter syndrome because of the amount of polished content available to us so we could look at for for instance yourself yourself and i we you know we compete in a marketplace on social media and we know that some people have very polished videos and podcasts or anything
1: mm-hmm.
0: and even though we might have the same level of experience as each other our social profiles might give us a different um impression and it's like, Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not as good as this person. So why would I then be good at my job? But you've got the same qualifications, you're good at what you do. And you, you, you have to believe that. But I feel that we've lost our own validation, or we don't know how to validate ourselves, because we were seeking it, obviously, as children, everything happens in the past, that usually happens when we're younger. And we haven't learned a way to validate ourselves in that I've done a good job. I mean, some people do obviously, but there's a lot of us who do suffer from imposter syndrome who feel like, have I done enough? Was that good enough? Did I learn enough? Am I really qualified enough to talk about this or to do this job? And sometimes in workplaces, I mean, I've experienced it myself, you might you might pitch something to your manager or your team and they don't necessarily want to go with your idea. So you then think you kind of go into yourself and think, Oh, was my idea not good enough? Was it, what was wrong with it? And no one actually explains what was wrong with it. And there Mm -hmm. probably wasn't anything wrong with it. It was probably something completely outside of your control, like budget restraints, or it's not the direction that the business wants to go in, but no one shared that with you. So then you internalize and you make it bigger than it is. Which then come manifests itself in another situation down the line as imposter syndrome, and it can be quite much like stage fright it can be quite paralyzing because if you don't feel that you're good enough at what you're doing, you will lose the passion for it, you won't you know recall what what your purpose was for it and and then that sort of has an effect on your mental health as well, because that can take you into that sort of downward negative thinking spiral, which can obviously be quite dangerous as we know.
1: Yeah, I, you know, as as you were explaining that, um, I, I, one of the careers I've embarked on is as an actor and actors go on auditions. And if 100 people audition for a part, only one's going to get it and if you're one of the 99 you may think your acting wasn't good enough but in reality you could have been as good or even better than the other person but some of it's about your look they may have like in my case another bald-haired guy with a goatee that's playing another role that's already cast and they don't want us to be have a confusing look so one of the skills we have to learn is to do our best. If we did something that we think was less than correct or we didn't take enough chances, okay, but don't take it as a personal rejection. Same thing in the workplace, like you said. It could be that there wasn't budget for your idea or they weren't ready to hear it. It doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It just didn't resonate. And this idea of being results-focused versus process-focused and that self-awareness, I think that's one of the key skills people can develop Be honest with yourself, know that you've done good or where you could improve and let the actual outcome, let it go because it's not a validation on your worth as a person. Mm. You want to add on that or?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's out of your control. I, this is, you just hit a lot of um, points there in what I say in coaching with my clients is, you know, there are some things that are in your control, like doing your best, like you say, working hard on it and following a process and paying more attention to the process than the result. Because oftentimes the outcome, especially in a work situation, is completely out of your control because you're not the boss. If you're the boss, you probably don't even get the imposter syndrome. But in that sort of scenario, that it, the outcome's out of your control. So so long as you know that you have done the best you could have done then the outcome shouldn't necessarily affect you negatively because that bit's out of your control. But your, what's in your control, you can master that. And so long as you master that, I think that's how you can build self-confidence within yourself to sort of push imposter syndrome away a little bit. It's it's a difficult one to manage because it does creep in, especially if, you, if you've been consistently knocked down. Mm-hmm. But like, Self-awareness is key, you know, it might be something that you aren't doing thoroughly enough, or maybe it is time to retrain a little bit and something can learn a bit more or whether it be about the company or whether it about be about yourself and your own skills, maybe you do need to develop. But using if you have self-awareness, you can do that and it will help you work through imposter syndrome for sure. And,
1: and again, this is where perspective comes in because you have to step outside yourself and look at yourself, like like you mentioned earlier about you were good at marketing uh, states or properties, but not yourself. You almost have to step back and say, okay, if I'm marketing myself, how would I do that? Is that a fair yeah. assessment? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, even today, if you ask me a marketing question, I'd be able to flow without a problem. You <laughs> know, I could sell you anything. I sell you a pencil, but selling myself and the goods that I'm doing it's so hard because it's like I'm saying I'm amazing and you should definitely hire me because I'll help you through your problems but that's not what I'm actually saying it's like if you're stuck I can give you a little bit of help that's that's really it you know that's all I'm that's really all I'm doing it's a non-judgmental space excuse me but it's it's very difficult to find that confidence to do that because it's a career change. It's something that I've only been doing for a short space of time compared to my 20 years in marketing. And I feel like, oh, I'm not qualified to do this, but yet the qualification was the breakdown, you mm-hmm. know, and not succumbing to the, the suicide. That was the qualification. I can be certified in anything, but actually me, myself, my personality, the way I am as a person how how I choose to be knowledgeable and educate myself constantly I don't feel that you know learning stops as well I agree with you there that's all the stuff that builds me to be qualified in what I'm doing and I can I do tell myself that a lot I I know how to sort of build my self-confidence up but Mm -hmm. that self-awareness takes time you know to get to that point so it's it's definitely key self-awareness for sure.
1: And when you share what it is that you're teaching and how those principles helped you, to me, that carries a lot more weight than a PhD who's only studied the subject. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tell a story and I don't have time to do it. It's basically about an improv class where I ended up going to the advanced class and everybody been in the beginning class for several years and at the end of the first year i decided to try to go from beginning to advanced and everybody goes oh but that's so hard well when i did it and got through after the first two sessions it was kind of yeah it was a challenge but i could do it all of a sudden people showed up and i go what they think if walt can do it they can do it but then I, i at first i was offended then i realized that that's a gift that if you're relatable and you overcome something, and you know, and you can inspire people to follow the same things, that is validation. So um, amen to that. You know, we've got like five, less than five minutes left. Can you take a couple minutes to let people know how they can work with you and get in touch with you? And then we'll wrap it up with a final thought or two.
0: Yeah, sure. So like I was saying, travel is the best way to work with me. I do like to go away because I like to get to know people. And when you're away from day to day, it's a really good way of getting to know each other. It helps to build trust really quickly. Because otherwise, the coaching process is going to be a bit static if you're just seeing each other for an hour week on week. So for the international visitors, I host retreats every year. The one, the next one coming up is in India. We're going to Kerala to the um, one of the homes of Ayurveda. And it's going to be a full mind, body, spirit trip away. And it's not a retreat in the sort of hippie sense of yoga. It's going to be very gentle, lots of fun. We do coaching whilst we're in the swimming pool and we're very chilled about it. So that's probably the best way for the international clients to work with me. But I also do coaching online. So they can just find me at franklycoaching.com, schedule a call and we take it from there.
1: That's terrific. All right. A um, couple minutes for a final point, and then we'll wrap this wonderful interview
0: up. I think the biggest thing that I would say, especially because we talked about, you know, big topic about perspective, fear, and imposter syndrome, I think in general, if you want to change something in your life, if you're not happy about something in your life, it's up to you to change it. Now, you need to you might need tools to help you, resources, whatever they are. But it's always up to you. Everything you do in your life, I 100 million percent um, believe that it's a choice that we choose. We can choose, but it's, imp- it's just recognizing within yourself that you do have a choice. You have a choice to take five minutes for yourself in the morning. You have a choice to leave work at five o'clock. You have a choice to travel. You have a choice to do all the things that you want to do. But you need that courage to believe in yourself that you can do it. And you can. You absolutely can. If you believe in what you want enough, you absolutely can.
1: That is great advice. That's the first habit of highly effective people. You're free to choose and responsible uh, for your choices. And if you choose to make a change, you will probably see different results if you choose not to change because not changing is a choice Mm -hmm. then you'll get the same results and that's what you're choosing and um, just one other ad is on the airplane they talk about in case of emergency put your oxygen mask on first Mm -hmm. so you take care of yourself and i think people that suffer from burnout they put everybody's priorities ahead of themselves and you help people learn how to take care of themselves first so that they, they can then go out and help other people and uh, create the life that they want. So thank you so much, Pooja, for agreeing to be my guest today. I really, really enjoyed talking to you today. Oh,
0: thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: And I I I love technology that we could do this international interview mm. from our homes. Amazing.
0: Yeah, thanks, totally. me. So to just wrap up a little bit about that interview, it's really important to realise that we've always got control over our perspective, okay, we do, we all have control over it and sometimes life does hand us these challenges, we'll say, (laughs) that really do push us to our limits and sometimes just a really conscious change in perspective can be all the difference that's needed thank you so much again for listening today if you enjoyed this episode then please subscribe to the self-care 101 podcast for more tips and tricks head over to my website franklycoaching.com or for daily inspiration you can follow me on the socials at franklycoaching. talk to you soon